This is the feast of the reign of Christ or Christ the King. It's not a very ancient feast in the church's life. Its origins are in the uh, promulgation of the feast of Christ the King by Pius XI in 1925. Uh, Since then, lots of Anglican churches and Lutheran churches and, of course, Roman Catholic churches celebrate this feast. Uh, It was originally celebrated on the last Sunday of October, and then in 1970, Paul VI moved it to the last Sunday in Pentecost. So we've sort of followed that practice. Who was in power in Italy in 1925? Mussolini. Mussolini. So there was some uh, method in Pius XI's madness to promulgate this feast. Christ the King is a celebration of the all-embracing authority of Christ, which shall lead humankind to seek the peace of Christ in the kingdom of Christ. And so I want to talk a little bit today about ways of understanding that concept, and then briefly something about the reading from Ephesians. And then finally, the parable of the sheep and the goats. And uh, I'm going to uh, interpret it in a way that may appear to be controversial or upsetting, but sometimes it simply can't be helped. (laughs) You know, Americans are not big on kings, right? In fact, our whole idea was to move ourselves away from from that uh, way of uh, forming... Uh, a society. And so when we speak of the reign of Christ and we think about kings, I think for many it's kind of a non-starter. But I think there's a deeper meaning than that. There's some, there's some other things that are wrapped up with this because um, Pope Pius XI and the others who felt that this was compelling to have a feast like this were not interested in the kind of patriotism and the relationship between uh, Christianity and uh, the secular powers that many people are. So in this country, we don't have kings, but we have some confusion, in my opinion, about the relationship between uh, how we understand um, uh, our loyalty to the country, but also what we mean when we speak about the reign of Christ, that Christ is, for, for Christian people, uh, the source and summit of our, self, our understanding is the people of God, and our commission to go into the world and become the transparencies and reflections of God's grace and love that we're called to be. So I prefer to think about Christ the King, perhaps, uh, as understanding a concept uh, that is easier for me to appropriate if I think about kingship or the reign of Christ as... um, a, a place where God's unconditional acceptance, love, and forgiveness is the, are the reigning things that govern the lives of people in their relationship with one another. And in that sense, they have authoritative power, and they're important for us, I think, uh, in many ways. Uh, in Ephesians, I'm not going to say much about Ephesians, But Paul is here speaking about um, that God's reign is is here. He speaks about um, one who is seated in the heavenly places. 
And he notes elsewhere that nothing can separate us from the love of God and the power of God. And for Christian people, what that means is that the principalities and the powers that govern the world do not have absolute control over Christian people. And that we understand that we can stand at a critical distance from the way in which we understand uh, what those principalities and powers produce, you know, because they're way bigger than we are. And so if we, if we believe that somehow um, we have within us the presence of God and the power of God, and we also have the sure confidence that God is not a cutter and a runner, uh, that helps us, I think, when we face difficult circumstances. And Paul is speaking uh, in this particular epistle about that idea, that God, that God is the ruler of all things in heaven and earth. So let's move to the uh, gospel. This is a gospel that's sort of famous. It's about the sh separating the sheep from the goats. Uh, remember, I've been talking about these parables and sayings of Jesus. Whenever you read them, there are three or four levels that, that you need to think about. One is, what did Jesus mean when he spoke it? The next is, what did the early church or the uh, post-Easter church believe about what it is? And the third is, how did the gospel writer redact the story for the purposes of the gospel that he wrote? How did he edit it, in other words? So today we have the story of the separation of the sheep and the goats. We have sayings about the reception of Jesus' disciples. We have an allegorical interpretation of those two things. And finally, the introduction and conclusion and the placement of the whole in Matthew's setting and what he's concerned about when he wrote his gospel. I think you'll notice over the last few weeks, more than any other gospel writer, uh, God's judgment and uh, st stuff about hell and gnashing of teeth and weeping is more prominent than in the other gospels. And so he, uh, is at, he has a point that he's trying to make, obviously. I'm not sure that most of us these days, particularly Episcopalians, appreciate so much talking about eternal judgment. Right? But it has to come up. It is part of who we are. And as, as we speak about these things, we always have to do this in light of uh, the reality that the decisions that we make in this life matter. So just, just put that on ice. So the first part is the separation of the sheep and the goats. I think uh, Ernest said something a couple of weeks ago, which I'll repeat, and that is that uh, in Palestine, by the way, this is a story that Jesus spoke about from life in Palestine. Anybody who heard him say this would understand exactly what he was talking about. Why? Because uh, goats and sheep are separated all the time. The shepherd herds the sheep and the goats together. And at nighttime, the goats who are more delicate and fragile than sheep need to be put in a shelter 
So the act of separating the sheep and the goats is a commonplace thing. So Jesus is using this as a description of how this separation is done uh, in, in life, and people understand exactly what it means. And there is that, and he's now going to relate it, obviously, to uh, judgment and the separation that comes uh, at the last judgment. He's going to talk about that. But then he talks about uh, people who he's sending people out and uh, talking about the, 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 the king or whoever it is sends the people out and the people uh, aren't listened to. And so this whole section of the when was I sick and you visited me? When was I in prison and you visited me? When was I hungry and you fed me? You know, all of those things. Most of the time, preachers use that text as, and make a moral point. The moral point is, is that we should look after one another and care for those that are on the margins. There's nothing wrong with that. God forbid that we should ever give up on that. But there are many biblical scholars who believe that this is a, uh, a, a formulation by Jesus, there are other places in the Gospels where this is done, of something called the Shaliak principle. So I'll read to you what that is. Many biblical scholars would say that this is one of the passages that illustrates uh, what is known as the Shaliak principle, according to which the acceptance or rejection of an accredited agent involves the acceptance or rejection of the sender and the further assertion that the acceptance or rejection of the sender will be validated at the last judgment. Jesus would have spoken this passage when he was sending his disciples out on a mission. So what, what, what that means, of course, is we're sending somebody out on the mission. He's the rep- he, or he or she is a representative of the person that, that, that sent them. And they're rejected, and if they're rejected... The person who sent them is rejected. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples about the work of sending them out. You know, the missionary uh, things that Jesus did were mostly all a bust. There were some successes, but often they came back and they didn't have any luck with, with this. Those of you who've been in, 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 in your life and work have uh, been in uh, circumstances where you need to do this and uh, people get sent out, get, getting discouraged is not hard, right? <laughs> when, you, when you do this kind of thing, you know. You know that's, nowadays, it's, that's what you say is often what we hear from this. So when we speak about this, Jesus is talking about what's going to happen uh, at the last judgment. And he then allegorizes all these things about the sheep and the goats are like the people who, are, who follow Jesus and the people who don't. This is all later material, you know. It's the church's interpretation of this saying of Jesus when he speaks about the separation and about all of the times that we've sent people out and they've come back uh, rejected. So I think what it is is it prompts a discussion. We need to ask ourselves the question, 
Uh, what does this mean in terms of the work of the church? And how do we understand in an affirmative way uh, what it is that we're doing? It's one thing to say that uh, the, the uh, actions in this life have consequences. But it's another thing to say, how do we understand that? And un we understand uh, whenever God's mercy and God's judgment collide, God's mercy trumps God's judgment. So we believe that, I think, or most people do. I was in the hospital... Uh, a couple of weeks ago visiting somebody and I came out and someone had gone into the hospital room and they had left some pamphlets. I'm always amused by this because it's I've, all my ministry I've been through this, even when I was doing my clinical pastoral education. And there are pamphlets that said, are you ready? <laughs> you are you ready? You know? And the full focus and force and effect of this is, is on uh, making you realize that your sins are going to get you in terrible hot water. So, and, and that's true on one level, right? But on another level, uh, people who are, we're people of hope. And we understand that uh, no matter what kind of discouragements we face, we have uh, the values of the kingdom uh, uh, part of, as part of who we are. There's been a huge amount of work in biblical scholarship done on the issue of the kingdom of God and the reign of Christ over the last 25 or 30 years. And maybe one of the most important exponents of all of this work is N.T. Wright, who describes in a book how God became a king. And in this book, he talks about uh, the fact that in many ways we have focused too heavily on the idea of handing out these kind of pamphlets because maybe the whole underpinning of that has some difficulties. And the difficulties are that uh, for maybe 500 years, we have said, all of us here today should be fixing and to get ready to go somewhere else. And to hope we get there. Instead of understanding that the kingdom of God is here. And that God needs each one of us to fulfill his purposes for the cosmos. And so our actions do count and it is important for us to understand that. And it's also important to understand that uh, people who don't listen may find themselves in a difficult circumstance. And you don't have to wait uh, till it's time for you to, to uh, pass out of the picture to understand that that's the case. You know? You know, one of the characteristics of difficult people toxic people is that they don't learn from experience. They don't learn from experience. And when I first heard that, I said to myself, gee, I hope I'll learn from experience. Right? And then you wake up one day and you find out that in this particular area, you have not learned anything from experience. 
So <laughs> there's work to do, right? So when you think about the reign of Christ, think about uh, the coming of God's kingdom in your heart and that the transformed person makes a difference in the world, not just biding their time till they go somewhere else. I've said this a whole lot recently. You know, you go to the, you go to the cemeteries in, in England, rural England and the parish churches and you look at all the headstones in the, in the cemetery in the churchyard and up until about 1780, there's stones that often say, uh, David Brewer, gone, but will return. And you get to about 1780 or 90, and you have David Brewer, gone home. There's a difference. Because the Bible says that we're all going to be together again at the general resurrection. That's what it says. That's the biblical teaching. And we have forgotten that for a long time and are all uh, worried about each other going somewhere else. So this week, think a little bit as you move to Advent, because we're going to talk more about some of these things. But one of the big things in Advent is hope. The Christian people are people of hope. And so think about hope, uh, but think about the kingdom now. Amen.